Last week we, um, and by the way, just so I know some of you are saying, well, there's not that many people here. Let me tell you, this is way better than preaching to empty chairs. Right? Uh, <laughs> Mike was here last week. He knows what it's like. It's like, uh, what are we doing here? So anyway, so last week we started talking about expectations. And uh, we talked about, kind of in a general sense, um, uh, our, our limited viewpoints and, and how we, uh, we put God in a box by, by, our, by our expectations. Now, obviously not literally, uh, but we start to imagine that God has to work like, like we expect Him to work and, and do things the way that we would do things. And uh, from the very first question uh, that, that God spoke uh, to the end of his ministry, he was always challenging people's expectations. And when we, uh, we have false assumptions, right, uh, and we, we get challenged in our false assumptions, uh, and when you have them, someone's going to challenge them. You, you, you go along in life and you think, always think a certain thing is true, and then, and then you encounter somebody and they uh, they have a completely different idea. And, ah, I've never thought of that before. And so when this happens to you, you can have a number of ways that you respond to these things. And we're, gonna, we're going to, to look at some of the responses. Um, and so today Jesus is going to ask us several questions that deal with our response to, to things. Uh, and so we're going to turn to John chapter 6. I know actually a lot of these questions are, are, are in and around John chapter 6. Uh, but this, this sermon is really one that, that blew people away. Um, and and it, it's uh, one of his foundational, uh, you know, as, as foundational as the Sermon on the Mount is uh, this lesson. And in some ways, maybe even more so. Uh, John 6, and we're going to uh, begin in verse uh, 51. <clears throat> John 6, 51 uh, through verse 58. He says, I am the bread of uh, the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. So far, so good. Sounds good. Um, the bread that I will give him is my flesh. Okay. Um, some more explanation, please. Right? Uh, just imagine yourself listening to this uh, for the first time. Uh, we, we read this all the time for, for Lord's Supper. But, but imagine, so we just kind of accept this as, you know, uh, just, it's, it's Bible language, it's, it's church language, but imagine yourself hearing this. Let me back up and read this. And, and this is the first thing that you've ever heard on this topic. The bread that I will give is my flesh, my skin. I'm going to give my skin as meat, as bread, as food. And I'm going to give... For the life of the world. So the Jews started arguing among themselves, saying, How can this man give, him, give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, and Jesus doesn't answer them. He doesn't answer the why. You will notice that, that when, when, when people ask Jesus questions, he never answers their questions, not the way they want. They said, How? How? Why? What? And, and Jesus doesn't answer. He answers, but not the one that he wants. He's just, he just says, Most assuredly, I say to you, 
I'm just telling you it's true. Unless you eat the flesh, unless you eat the skin of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you don't have any life in you. So whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed. Absolutely, it is food. And my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I in Him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so He who feeds on me, this is crazy, He who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came from heaven, not the kind that your fathers ate, the manna, they're dead. But he who eats this bread is going to live forever. So he said these things, listen to this, in the synagogue, in church, in the church building, where this stuff had never been said before. In the same synagogue where they were told not to, to do the kinds of things in human sacrifices like the Amalekites, where, or all those scriptures were read, where, where you're not supposed to eat blood. In the same synagogue where, where, where they read the law and said, you're not supposed to eat blood, you eat blood, you die. Because the life is in the blood. He just said, unless you eat my blood, you're not going to live. As he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. No kidding. Who can understand it? So when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, he says, Does this offend you? What then should you if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before. It's the Spirit who gives life, flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. I've gone a little bit past 58. And so Jesus handles their initial response. Are you offended? Are you offended? Now I want to stop for a moment as we talk about the idea of offense. Our idea of offense and the idea, the biblical idea of offense are not exactly the same. They start out at the same point, but they don't necessarily end up at the same point. So <clears throat> our idea of offense when we hear this phrase, are you offended? Oh, I'm offended. 
deals exclusively by our culture with the emotional impact. That's where it starts and stops. We deal with the emotional impact. I'm offended. That offends me, right? That's the emotional response. We live in a world that rewards being offended. If you are offended, then someone's going to cater to you and you're going to get attention. However, in reality, though, the original concept started with an emotional impact. You can see an emotional impact here. It didn't stop there. The the concept of offense had to do with the physical response. In other words, if I was offended, it would then produce a behavior, right? Uh, Jesus talked about being a stumbling block. It's the same concept. Uh, If you're offended, right? If you're offended, you should cast out your eye if, if it causes you offense. In other words, if there's something that you're looking at, or if your right hand offends you or, or causes you to stumble, you should cut it off. In other words, if, if your eyes or your body is doing something which is affecting you spiritually, you need to address that. It, it's, it's now impacting you beyond your emotional state. That's what they're talking about when they're talking about offended. So, so when Jesus says, does this offend you? He understands that what they've heard is about to impact them in more than an emotional way. There are people sitting in the church building, the synagogue, listening to him and going, I can't accept this. And I'm about to do something, whether I'm going to leave the synagogue or I'm about... And his disciples, his people following him, that are in the synagogue with him, are about to go, I'm not sure. This might be one of those kind of lines in the sand that I can't cross. I can't go there. I can't eat people. Does this offend you? Understand why this impacted people, not just the Jews, but as, as this is going to get... <clears throat> we, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit in talking about where this is being read. But people from a pagan background ate blood. Might have been pig's blood. Cannibalism is pretty gone by now. Except maybe in remote parts of the world. But but in their world that was gone. But they still ate pig's blood. <clears throat> you ever heard of blood pudding? Right? Blood sausage? There's people that eat that nasty junk. There's people that, but in this time, it wasn't just the delicacy. It was something done as a part of a religion. And it, God was offended at it. And so people were offended at it. They simply couldn't do it. 
So Paul, later on, when he's writing, he says, he says, if it causes your brother to stumble, if it offends your brother, stop doing it. He wasn't saying, if, if, uh, if, you're, if this puts your brother in a bad mood, stop doing it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if, if you're doing something and your brother's not going to be able to walk into church doors anymore because of the, a little thing that you do, then we need to not do it. Whether it's okay to do or not. So Jesus' example clarifies what offense is. A little bit. Because we need to address something here when we're talking about offense. Sometimes, as we see with Paul, the offended party needs to be catered with or to. We have a legitimate concern. Here's a person that has a legitimate need and they're not going to be able to worship because of their background, because, because they have issues in their past. They simply can't worship in this thing. In the world, there are churches, and I was shocked because of my background, to be in a church in Poland and have communion and just, and all of a sudden it's, it's wine. And nasty box wine. I don't know good, good wine from bad wine, but I can tell you that's bad wine. <laughs> I was shocked because I just grew up, you know, a certain way. And I can tell you that I know people who, who come from a background that that would offend them in a deep personal way to where they would not be able to have communion because of their past. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, and Jesus isn't talking about, I'm offended. But Jesus, I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't cater. Now, that doesn't mean that we should never cater. I'm a human, and I don't know everything, and everything I say is not always right, and my decisions aren't always right, and my understanding isn't always right. Jesus had perfect, look at it says, Jesus knowing what was in them. In other words, before they even started thinking, and before they even started you know, talking amongst themselves, Jesus understands the whole situation. When he, when he gives this message. He's not just, you know, off the cuff. You know what you know would make a good analogy and then he's halfway through it and goes, ooh, that was not a good analogy. Right? I do that. Jesus doesn't have to clarify. Let, let me use a better analogy. Jesus, you will notice, never caters. That's because Jesus is always right. But this does tell us something, that there are times where it is not time to cater. And if I was perfect, I would never would. I'm not perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. He didn't always understand everything perfectly. Jesus can set up the situation ahead of time so he knows that he doesn't have to. So we can take it too far either way. 
Some people take it too far and always cater to the emotionally offended. And some people never cater. And there's a happy medium, isn't there? And so we need to look at the type of offense when we're thinking about whether we should comply or not comply with the offense. I want to look, though, not just at this passage, but other passages and look at something a little bit deeper. And to look at having established that Jesus offended people, and he was, all, he was okay doing it. He knew what the response was going to be before he did this. And he did it anyway. Jesus was okay offending people. It's how you get people to grow. To think beyond. Jesus was that person that comes into your life and thinks differently than you've ever thought. And you go, oh, I wasn't prepared for that. That's Jesus. And he walked around doing that pretty much on a daily basis. So I want to look at different ways that Jesus offended people. And notice if these are ways that you've been offended. Because my contention is, is that you cannot be a Christian unless you've been offended. No one in the Gospels ever came to Christ without first being offended. Find it in there. Find the, the person that came to Jesus and Jesus said, here is a man who's got it. Here's a man who's figured it out. Here is a man I don't have to teach. I, he's got nothing to improve. Find the man for me. Didn't happen. Jesus challenged everyone. So we're going to stay right here in John 6 for the first one. And that is that some people are offended at teaching. This is a hard one. We're 2,000 years later and not everyone agrees on how we're supposed to read this chapter. <laughs> right? I don't understand everything in this chapter and I wish it did. I think I got it. More or less. But there's some hard things that I go, mm, I wonder. No one has come to Christ without being challenged in their, in, in their doctrine. His own disciples are saying, listen, who can accept this? Who can, who, can, who can figure this out? They've been around him, and they still don't know how to accept this. Now, I don't know if they were talking about themselves or if they're thinking of other people. In other words, we're disciples. We're supposed to be absorbing this information, and we've got to tell somebody else about this. Have you ever been embarrassed about a doctrine that you believe? Have you ever gone, I've got to explain this to somebody else. I mean, it's okay for me. I've accepted it, but how in the world is Joe at work ever going to accept this? Have you ever been embarrassed like that? Have you ever, like, in advance, kind of, like, gone through a conversation and go, mm. I have. 
I have. And, and I wonder if that's what's going through the apostles' minds as they're sitting there listening, going, we're his disciples. And we're going to have to teach other people this stuff? I mean, they've been sent out before in groups. What if he sends us out again and we have to do this sermon? I'm not sure I can handle that. I'm not sure if that's a line I'm ready to cross. You ever hoped that there was a question that people wouldn't ask you? Please don't ask me that one. Please don't ask me that one. So some people are offended and frequently offended at Jesus' doctrines. Now you can find out the doctrines that people are offended at pretty easily because, oh, if you wait 30 seconds, there'll be a new church opening up that doesn't teach a particular doctrine and they will advertise it. We're this. They got offended at something. There'll be a new version of the Bible that erased something or highlighted it in black because they're offended. Luke chapter 18 gives us another thing that people are offended at. We could spend all day on on any one of these. Luke 18. I'm going to move on. Verse 18 beginning. He says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Again, here we are. Jesus never answers the question. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? That's not the question, Jesus. There's no one good but one. Okay, let me get to your question. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I've done all these things from my youth. Jesus doesn't even go there. Because he could have. You remember that time? On January the 3rd? And that lie you told? He could have done that. He doesn't. He He allows the premise for a moment. And he says... Uh, all these things I kept from my youth. So Jesus heard that. He goes, oh, good. You still lack one thing. Sweet. One thing. And I'm in heaven. Sell everything you got. Give to the poor. And you have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Oh. Now listen to this. But when he heard this, he was very sorrowful. Because he was very rich. And when he saw that he had become very sorrowful, Jesus says, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And goes on and on. This man had an emotional impact. That's the sorrow. That's the, that's the emotional part of the that offense. But it, as we see, it's not just that type of offense. He, he, it affected him. He wasn't capable of going and crossing that line. And so some people are offended at the requirements. It might be this requirement, it's others. God, Christ put all sorts of requirements in front of people.
This man was okay with re- meeting certain religious requirements, right? Some re- he was okay with the law part of the requirements, the, the, the things that we, we, okay, this is accepted religious things that we're supposed to do. And we have those religious behaviors. Sometimes those are valid, sometimes they're not valid. They might be uh, cultural. Your area in time, uh, uh, the man who uh, brought my mother to Christ, he talked about being in Bible college a long time ago. And he says, my wife, and, and this is like, I mean, you know, this is not quite the Pope, you know, from my perspective. You know, I knew this preacher, he was old when I was a kid. Right? Uh, and, and just, you know, just a studious, scholarly man. He goes, my wife was a liberal on campus because she showed her ankles. Right? Hey, that's a, a religious requirement back then. I don't even know how long ago that was. That was a religious requirement. And she challenged it. How dare she? So, th- so there are religious things that people accept and there are things that people don't. And some are cultural and, and some are real. And we have an okay time accepting some of them. And then Christ goes, but I have another requirement for you. And when he does that, he challenges us. And we go, can I go a step further? And he gives us a profoundly difficult challenge. And whenever Christ does this, you will notice that he focuses on what people are attached to. What is the attachment that you have that gets in the way of complete and total service? And when we're sad, we're offended. Now I want you to look at this man, don't criticize this man. Because if God was disposable, if Christ was disposable to him, he wouldn't even have thought, have thought a second thing. He was just like, that's stupid. He was sorrowful. He wanted to be a disciple. He had a dilemma. There are many people today who are genuine in their desire but simply can't get there. It would be easy to judge them. Don't judge this man. He was a good man. Maybe he didn't keep the law perfectly like he said, but he probably did a pretty good job. But he was conflicted. Next one, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Verse 1 through 4. The Pharisees and Sadducees came and they tested him and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he said to them, Oh, when it's evening, you say, Oh, it's going to be fair weather. The sky's red. Red at night, sailor's delight. Right? And in the morning... Oh, it's going to be bad weather. The sky is red. Red in the morning, 
Sailors take warning. It's funny. <laughs> 2,000 years gone by. Same thing. Hypocrites. You know how to de- discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign is going to be given to it except that of the prophet Jonah. And so he left. And sometimes people are offended at style. The style of Jesus. They wanted conformity. They wanted Jesus to dance the way they expected him to dance. Right? Remember the story, this is throughout. Jesus says, oh, John the Baptist came eating, or neither eating and drinking. And you said he had a demon. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking. You said, oh, a drunkard. Right? We like people to dance the way we want them to. And they wanted conformity. They liked the theatrics. Right? We just read John 6. That came after the, the, the miracles and, and everything uh, of the feeding of the 5,000. And, and, and we, they loved the theatrics of it. There are people that love the dramatics of the church. They, they go to church to hear a, a wonderful preacher. I know that that's not what you do here. You come to... I mean, there are some flamboyant guys out there. Oh, and it just, oh I could listen to those guys forever. They're, they're just, there are wonderful, entertaining men. They love the dramatics. There, there are people that go to churches because they've got a great praise band and they've got the fog lights and the strobe lights and all the wonderful right, fog machines. Everything they've got going on there, neon and, oh, it's exciting. They love that stuff. The theatrics of the religion. And Jesus said, like, I didn't come with strobe lights. Sorry. I didn't come with all that fancy stuff. And so these men had developed no substance. There was no substance to these men. And so he says, no sign's given to you. Except one sign. Which is the sign of Jonah. I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. That's it. So there will be people who linger at the outskirts of Christianity, only interested in the excitement. And if there's no excitement, they won't be there. Now, I'm not trying to say that we should intentionally make it dull. Jesus didn't always make it dull. Jesus gave some excitement. I mean, you're standing there and a dead man comes out of a tomb. That's pretty exciting. But Jesus didn't feel the need to always make it exciting. Today I'm just going to sit on the side of a mountain and teach. Well, that's not exciting. We're leaving. Okay. Excitement comes at the end, but I'm not telling you that. But Jesus was not interested in manufacturing feelings. So some people are offended at his style. The last one, Matthew chapter 15. Same chapter. Or excuse me, chapter before, verse uh, 1 through 9. Matthew 15, 1 through 9. 
The scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples violate the tradition of the elders because they don't wash their hands when they eat? He answered and said to them, I love this, does not answer the question. Jesus refuses to answer the question. Why don't they do this? Why do you transgress the commandments of God because of your tradition? You can just see them being offended. For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever curses father or mother should be put to death. But you say to your father and mother, The prophet that you might have received from me, I already gave it to God. Sorry, I can't help you out this month. And so it goes on and on. And they get offended. They get offended. And so some people are offended at Jesus' priorities. He did not care for traditions. I'm not saying all traditions are bad. I'm just saying he didn't care about them. Understand that that these men were not upset over the lack of hygiene of the disciples. Now, I'm not saying that the disciples had great hygiene. I'm just saying that's not what these men were offended at. These were religious customs with specific accepted protocols. These are fishermen. Have you ever seen fishermen? There's a, you know, they're sitting around uh, cleaning fish and grab a sandwich with worm guts all over their hands. So I, I don't know what that they use worms or whatnot, but, but you can just get the picture. Right? The, the, whatever. They don't care about tradition. They're eating lunch. But there was a specific thing that, that the Pharisees and, and these people had in their mind. It was a ceremonial religious washing that they were supposed to do. They're not complaining about bad hygiene. They're complaining about religious traditions not being met. That was their priority. And sometimes we get into a thing where, where our priorities, we have a certain list of things that we expect church to be, to look like, because I was raised with it. I want certain protocols. I want things in an order. Oh my goodness. I remember when, uh, in church, when, when uh, it was a long time ago, we decided to move where communion fell in the church service. There was a discussion about this. And we moved it. The reason we moved it was because the preacher said, it's communion and I'm thinking about my sermon. And I don't want to be thinking about my sermon during communion. So can we move it to the end? But it was like, we need a papal decree to move this. I wonder if Jesus specifically had them not washing their hands simply so this could happen. Don't wash your hands. Eat with worm guts. 
See what it does to them. There are so many times where Jesus could have healed on a different day, but he picked the Sabbath. Or he could have done it this way, and he specifically did it just to... Just so they would be offended, so they would ask the question, so Jesus could answer it. Because Jesus constantly challenged the way people think. When traditions become doctrine, then we need to have it overturned, and we need to be offended. And God is more than ready and willing to offend. When we are offended, this is the moment not to react, or, but it's the moment to question, why am I offended? What is it in me that is offended? Is it something that I should be offended? There are things that we should be offended at. Or is it one of these other reasons? And so we get to that response part. That's, that's the emotion. And then we get to the response I want to go back to John chapter 6. And I want to look at just a couple of reactions. Because he's giving this, this sermon. And it's a long sermon. But there's a few reactions. Look at verse 67. Now he's already asked them if they're offended. And Jesus says, do you want to go? Do you want to go? There's the door. Do you want to go? When we are challenged or someone thinks a little different from from the way I do, do I take my ball and go home? Or am I, let's figure this out. Do you want to go? God's not going to force me to stay. Let's figure it out. Just as, do you want to go away? Jesus is not here offering to cater. You notice that. Jesus will not cater. Jesus isn't going to change. This book ain't going to change. The choice is ours. We can stay or we can go. And Peter, as Peter does, has the answer that he doesn't understand. It's way bigger than, than Peter, but, but he blurts it out, and it's like one of those things that Peter does. Peter answered him, Lord, where should we go? You have the words of life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Rephrase what Peter says. Peter says, What are our options? Yeah, I'm offended. Peter's not saying, I'm not offended. He can't deny it because Jesus knows what's in his heart. They're offended. But Peter's like, okay, so what are my options? I can go to these people. They don't got any answers. They've never had answers. 
I'm going to sit there and they might make me feel nice, but they ain't got nothing. You have the words of life. Your words are the ones that, at, at the end of the day, even when I'm offended, have always made me feel better. Your doctrine, the way you do things, your priorities, everything about you is what's made me feel right. You have the words of life. I don't comprehend right now, but I know I will. We have come to know that you have words of life. I've come to, to, to understand, Jesus, that, that even though I don't understand, uh, you, you explain it eventually, and I will get it. Just, I, 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 I can't leave, because I don't have any options. This is the difference between the types of offense that we have. It's okay to be offended in the sense that my emotions sometimes don't meet up with where Christ's at. Okay. But the problem that Jesus wants to address is how I respond to it. That's, that's the action line. Where is that? Where am I? So as I conclude... I want you to think about things, whether past, present, or be open to. What are things that have challenged you? It could be in church. It could be with God. Has God ever worked in a way or done something that you're upset with? That didn't meet your expectations? You thought God was going to work in a particular way, and He didn't. You thought you had God figured out. You ever had God figured out? God thinks this way. Surprise. I've had that. What happens when you hear something different? You ever heard something different? My family moved when I was in seventh grade. I grew up listening to Bible college professors or preachers. I heard things that were different. Do you immediately reject it? Do you think of it as, okay, maybe I need to entertain it? How do we do it when something impacts us in what we hear? So this is my challenge. Is wait God out. Be like Peter and wait God out. Peter didn't know the answer. When, he, when, when Peter said this statement, he didn't state this from knowing the explanation of John 6. He stated this from a perspective of expecting that he was going to eventually understood, uh, understand. He waited Christ out. The truth of his teachings, superiority of his methods and goals will show themselves. We live in a time where everyone's offended. I'm offended. I've been offended by everything. Wait God out. And you will be comforted.
Christ will explain it some way. Maybe not in person. I would like that. I would like Christ to sit down with me and, uh, and explain it to me. But it will become obvious what Christ is doing and what Christ is allowing in our world. And that's, that's my challenge. Wait, God, up. And we're going to turn it over.